You are listening to your new puppies podcast, starting you and your dog off on the right paw. Here's your host, Debbie Salento. Hello, and welcome to episode 69 of your new puppies podcast. I'm Debbie, and today, we are going to have a very special conversation about raw feeding. So this is something that I've dabbled in. I know a little bit about, but I am far from an expert. So instead, today, we are going to talk to Casey from San Francisco Raw, who is an expert, has been doing this for a long time, and is a wealth of information. In fact, there was so much good information that I had to split this up between two different episodes. So today we're going to talk about the basics. We're going to define what raw feeding is, the history of feeding our dogs. She's going to give us lots of resources and even bust a few raw feeding myths. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk all about puppies and how to start them on raw feeding and and even some suggestions on what to use for treats. So maybe you've heard of raw feeding, maybe you were thinking about it, maybe you weren't sure about it. So this can be a great introduction and then with all the resources, including Casey herself, you can definitely get started and start to get your hands dirty because the one thing I know is that it can be overwhelming and intimidating, but it's one of those things that, and Casey and I talk about this, is that it's as confusing and overwhelming as you let it be. It really can be simple if you let it. And I say that because that's exactly where I am with it. I am in transition. I feed my dogs a blend of raw, fresh foods and kibble. And after talking with Casey, I may be ready to take some next steps. Okay, so let's dive in and let Casey introduce herself. So hi, Casey. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited about this because I've dabbled in raw feeding a little bit, but I actually don't know that much about it. And I'm going to be honest, it intimidates me. So um, I'm looking forward to learning just as much as my listeners. Great. So, um, So tell me about yourself. Start out like, how did you get here? What are you doing now? All of that. Yeah, well, it's a very long story, so I'll try to abbreviate it a little bit. Um, But uh, essentially, I always start with the idea that, so people understand where I'm coming from, is I started as a vegan in 1980. And that sort of sets the tone for the whole idea. Because, but you know, I did it because I love animals. It wasn't really for the health things. But as a vegan, you kind of get exposed to all this like natural health stuff. And I had done all this natural stuff for myself. Then I went on to become, you know, working in uh, as a all kinds of animal jobs, pet sitter, dog walker, vet tech, you know, uh, kennel assistant, working at vet hospitals, things like that, and going to eventually going to vet school. And I had a cat and I did a lot of rescue. I had a cat, you know, she was nine years old and she got really sick. They said she had three months to live. I was in the health food store buying my food, but I'd always done everything conventionally for her. 
you know, like the science okay. diet and the vaccines, all the things you're supposed to do for animals, right? Right, right, right. Like I was doing all the things perfect for her, according to being very compliant as a as an allopathic practitioner, you know, and being in working at the vet clinic, wanting to do everything just right. But she was dying, and so I decided to try this crazy thing. And it was in '88, actually. So 1988 is when I tried this before the internet, before phones, before you know, cell phones, all that kind of stuff. You know, so I was like basically right. books. And I read this book, and I read it back to back, and it was like everything I knew was wrong. Everything I was doing was wrong. Everything Ugh. that he promoted in the book made sense to me because of my interest in natural stuff for myself. Okay. It was like really translatable. Like, I would, oh my gosh, like why hadn't, and I never even thought about it before, which is ridiculous. Right. So I just, I did never thought that like feeding animals real food would be better for them than some processed thing, which I avoided processed food myself, but I, know, I always thought they need their thing. And it's like scientists who put it together and blah, blah, blah. And they have authority <laughs> and I should do that. You know? So yeah, I was I, like, yeah, I, I'm with so, you. Like yeah. I, yeah, and it was just it. like, yeah, but but she was dying. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this crazy thing. So I didn't know what I was doing and I was fumbling around and it took me about a year, but here we go. She didn't die. <laughs> you know, three three months she was supposed to die. She was nine years old at the time. It's amazing. And she lived, you know, it took me a year to switch her because I really fumbled. I didn't know what I was doing. She kept getting out and eating kibble and then she'd be crazy and she wouldn't eat her food again. And it was just nuts. Anyway, switched her over. She lived to be 22 and never had another sick day in her life. And wow. at the end of that year, she was so dramatically transformed as an entire being, her behavior, which mm -hmm. you would be interested in, but her behavior, her, cause I caught her as a feral cat and she was always really skittish. And I thought that was part of just how she was, but right. then she became like totally outgoing and friendly and nice and not, it was like, who are you? You know, it was because <laughs> she was finally getting the right food. All of her health problems that I thought were just kind of normal aging as a getting older cat, which is ridiculous because cats should live to be 30 and that's their normal lifespan. But we think of them as old when they're not even old because we do this to them anyway. Mm -hmm. So she lived to be 22 and it was fabulous. And it actually was so dramatic for me to go through that. I actually dropped out of vet school, moved to Oregon and lived off the grid and did wildlife rescue. And that's where I really self re-educated on all the natural things Wow. I'm getting Reiki certified, flower assistants. Um, I was already doing homeopathy, but really deep in my practice with homeopathy, flower, uh, you know, herbs, uh, essential oils, you know, all kinds of cool, amazing, interesting, tried all the different stuff, learned, did deep dives on everything. And the great thing is, is that as a wildlife rehabber, I was able to utilize it in a population of animals that there's no placebo effect. They're not even going to be really, they're wild animals. So it's not, they wouldn't even necessarily be like impacted by, you know, like my connection with them necessarily. So, you know, like a, like a domestic animal might. Right. So I had huge and massive and incredible success. Like it was just so amazing what was able to be accomplished through two things. It was not giving him antibiotics and all the normal stuff we normally do, giving them raw species appropriate food. So you don't give like a snake, a carrot, you don't give an owl an apple, you give them chicks, you give them mice, you give them, right. you, give, you know, Possum would get like chicken, you know, I mean, they would get things that they're supposed to eat and then fasting them when they were sick. I fasted them, kept them warm, kept them dry, fasted them, fed them the right food. And it was like, I really almost lost nobody. It was amazing. I was able to re, you know, that was just totally incredible to me. There's all these different ways of feeding raw and the early raw feeders like myself, what we were doing was we were looking at a template that in my opinion now is a flawed template. Because when we first made, we created kibble and, and 
processed food. That's the new weird thing. We've always, for millennia, all of us, dogs, cats, people, all of us until like processed food came on the scene or, you know, really recently, honestly, if we look at our whole history, we all just ate food. You know, it, that's the normal thing is to just eat real food. But right. then we started processing things and we started processing things. We started being like designating it like this is baby food. This is adult food. This is puppy food. This is dog food. This is cat food. This is human food. And we started segregating everything out. And that was a way for us to make money on these different things, really. You know, and it was like companies were doing things. It wasn't like nature doesn't say like only children from the age of three to duh can eat this apple. You know what I mean? Like that's not how it works. You know, like it's like, it's food right. and you eat it, but. And, and to be so, fair, it makes it convenient yeah. for us. So we're just like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you can choose them, right? So yeah. yeah, it's easy. So basically, but the template that we were all using, even with early raw feeding was this kibble template for nutritional mm-hmm. balance, quote unquote balance, which also is a manufactured idea. That's not something. Now there's some things that's great about the research that's been done on some of the things we've learned over time using Mm -hmm. science, which is great about the calcium phosphorus ratios, the importance of taurine, things like that. But all of those things actually are understandable if you look back at what a dog should eat, quote unquote, in nature, or what they were eating, like give a dog a bone or, you know, a doggy, like a a doggy bag with your leftovers, you know, like there there are all these things. (laughs) Dinner scraps, here you go. Yeah, this is things that we all did that was normal. And it was Mm -hmm. just part of normal things before we started you know, we fed dogs like that. We just fed them our scraps. We gave them bones. We gave, you know, this is what they ate. That's why all these terminologies exist. All these little, you know, little phrases that we have in our culture mm-hmm. is because that's what dogs ate and they've eaten that forever and ever. Right. But this template was based on what grain millers were using to create something of value during the war. So during the war they needed to, which was awesome. They were using all the byproducts involved with their industry, all the sweepings off the floor. How do we do it? They had this new technology. It's called an extruding machine. They never had that before. It made it so that you, if you put enough starch in there, which can be anything, it can be anything starchy. It can be a potato. It can be grains. It can be, you know, uh, peas. It can be anything, you know, all those kind of novel, novel uh, grain-free ingredients that you see now uh, uh-huh. in the kibble, but it's starch basically. So any kind of starch, minimum 50 to six, you know, between 50 and 60% for the, for using in the extruding machine, then you put it through there, add some protein or something else that makes it so the dogs want to eat it, spray it with some fat from the rendering plant, spray it with vitamins and minerals, and the dogs were eating it and they weren't dying and you could keep it on the counter and you didn't have to refrigerate it. And we were utilizing things in the food system that would otherwise be waste, but we never, so they developed it for industry. They never looked at what a dog needs and developed food for a dog. Mm -hmm. They developed food for industry, for the grain industry, but not for dogs. We've tried to make that work over time, but what we've been doing is exploiting a dog's ability to be very um, adaptable. That's why they've been so successful as a species over time, like raccoons. Right, because right. they're scavengers, eat. really, yeah, aren't I mean, they? That's they how I understand of, it. They can kind of pretty much eat anything. Yeah, right. they were living off of scraps. I mean, they can eat anything and they hunt and they scavenge and that's what they do. And they eat poop and they eat you know, all this kind of waste <laughs> material. That's what they do. But, you know... The ideal dog, if we're trying to do like the best food for our dog, it's going to be real food, fresh and nutritious. And if we look at their biology and their physiology, that is of a carnivore. Right. They don't have, if you look from their mouth, the way they're dented, their, their 
mouths are structured, the way the enzymes are in their mouth, the way that their teeth are, the short, the shortness of their digestive tract, the acidity, 1%, what kind of digestive enzymes they have, all of that um, determines what they should eat, just like every animal, right? Like I was just saying, like a, a owl and a snake, they are meant to eat certain things. A dog is meant to eat certain things, and that's meat, bones, and organs. So that's the basis of what they should be eating, and that's predominantly what they do best on, and that's what their bodies require. They have zero requirement for vegetables, zero requirement for carbohydrates, and that's even written in the literature that's used by the AFCO, the NRC. You know, all of these like authorities, they actually write that right into their documentation, and that is known understand. That's a known understanding of the dog's physiology. That being said, we utilize those th those ingredients in order to make things like kibble, but that has nothing to do with what a dog needs. So that's, you know, it's really a function of the food, like making it stay on the shelf, being able to go through those machines. Right. I mean, that's really, it's more of a, a practical matter for that, but it has nothing to do with what's best for a dog. Now, I did ask Casey to back up a little bit, or actually a whole lot, because I wanted to get down to the simplest question I have for anybody who is a complete novice out there and is like, what is raw feeding. She even gives some advice on how to get started if you've never done it before. I know that a lot of my listeners don't even understand what raw feeding is. Like when right. I say raw feeding, they're like, what is that? Like they don't right, like, right, right, right. like you would think oh. like, you know, it's not just handing your dog a piece of chicken that's raw. You know, yes. so I mean, how would you explain? Feeding, but that's not necessarily how we want you to do it long term. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. How would yeah. you explain like raw feeding in a couple sentences to yeah. somebody who has never even heard of it before? Never owned a dog, never really, you know, been in the dog realm. Yeah. Um, brand new puppy owner, brand new dog owner. How would you explain raw feeding to them? Yeah. So it's it's pretty easily defined, but then within that definition, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of like, you can break that down and do it different ways, but basically it is feeding a species appropriate diet using raw foods. So uncooked things, right? That's it. I mean, it's not complicated. It's really simple. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you know, I mean, sometimes they, you need to yeah, hear that. So what you look at is basically your dog is a wolf. Let's look at it that way, just to make it real simple. They're not, I know that. And you know, there's different, you know, we can get into all kinds of nuances when uh, on that topic, there's mm -hmm. whole mm -hmm. realm, you know, books and studies and all kinds of things that, you know, we're not going to go back just to break it down and make it super simple. Feed the wolf in your dog, you know, biologically and physiologically, the way their bodies are made up and the way they're meant to eat things and absorb nutrients ideally, and the way that they're supposed to digest stuff. It's the same as a wolf essentially. Mm -hmm. So think of your dog as a wolf and think about what a wolf would eat watch your nature documentary, go, oh, okay, <laughs> right? Eating. oh my gosh, my little sweet puppy, my little Cavalier King Charles, tiny little angel yeah. is going to be, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, honestly, they do. And that is what they eat. And that's what they're biologically and physiologically mm -hmm. designed to eat. Yep. Now, this is the part that gets really crazy because there's like a million different ways to accomplish that. Right, right. And that, that, a level of like what you're comfortable with and mm -hmm. what makes sense to you. And this is how the, the finer balance and what I do with my consultations is I come up with, where are you on this? Like right now, how do you feel? Cause I don't want to tell you to do something that you're going to be putting the food down and go, Oh God, please don't die. 
you know, like super anxious <laughs> because that energy, you know, how connected we are with our animals and how intuitive right. they are and how in tune to our body language and our, I mean, our hormones and our cortisol levels, everything, they pick up on all of that. So you can't even conceal your distress about giving them something. So if you put something down, I want you to bring it, put it down with the energy and the intention and the confidence and the love that you know what you're putting down is the healthiest, most nutritious thing that you can do right now. Now, we also addressed and talked about some common hesitations that dog owners might have towards raw feeding, including my own. But it's usually they're concerned about budget, balance. Those are the two things. And then safety. So like bacteria. Yeah. So it's yeah. the three Bs. It's like yeah. balance, you know, budget and bacteria. <laughs> kind of the three things. So, you mm-hmm. know, that, that and then usually I try to meet them on those, like whatever their biggest concern is, their biggest hurdle which I'm sure you do too with your clients with certain things, you know? Of course. Like, why of don't course. you want to use a crate, you know? <laughs> yeah, like it's, why it's like you in the perfect crate? world, I want you to do this. Right. But tell right. me what we can do. Right, right. And how can I get you to use that crate? You know, like right, maybe, right. what about a tie down? You know, maybe mm-hmm. we could try that or maybe you could just tie them around your waist or, you know, try and come up with something that's like, if you're not willing to crate them, maybe we could figure something else out. Yeah. So. Right, right. Okay. All right. Cause yeah, my, my, the reason I, I do half raw, I use commercial. I know you yeah. said you didn't like it, but I do use a, a frozen, um, commercial raw fresh foods. So like I do feed them like chicken, I raw, raw eggs. Cause I have yeah, chickens that's, and that's they eat most of those food. eggs. That is an awesome food. Um, eggs and food. I'll People also overlook eggs all the time, but they're such a good nutritious food. They're really good. And then I try to use, you know, um, I do use kibble. I use a high what I believe is a high quality kibble. Um, and it, a lot of it is budget is my, is money because I have two 60 pound dogs. You know, it's a lot of food <laughs> to buy. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I have trouble feeding myself. Like I don't keep fresh food in my house, right. you know? So like it would be a lifestyle change for me, right, which, right. you know, so, but, and it's been a transition like a year yeah. ago, it was all raw. I mean, all kibble. You right. know, so like I'm in transition myself and that's everybody is, you know, yeah. what I feed now, like what I was going to say is that when I first started, I was doing that template of like all the grains and stuff and my dog got cancer and, you know, I do feel, and after that, I decided to switch to dropping all that stuff and do a barf style, which included veggies, but only like 12% at the most, right. it was, it was a small amount and yeah, my I've dogs thrived. They thrived on that. And I changed, and then I adopted a dog that couldn't eat any veggies. And I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? You know? And he thrived on just a duck, just a chicken, just a rabbit. Like that's all he could eat. If I gave him anything else, he would break out in these black, horrible. And is that what you call um, whole prey? Prey model. You yeah. Say, yeah. When you just and he give thrived. him a chicken to eat. Yes. And it was, that's what he, that's the only thing he could eat without having problems. Like he basically couldn't eat other ways of feeding, you know, and that was why. So, so since then I've also had a couple puppies and great Danes that they were raised, they were raw bred, like from a raw mm-hmm. breeder and they, um, were fed a really, she lives kind of not in a food desert, but kind of, and, you know, she doesn't have anywhere near the uh, resources that I have and in Texas. And so she goes to like 
I don't know, like some, like some big, like Costco or something, you know? And she goes and gets like big cases of like the beef and chicken. And she has like 10 great days. I mean, she has a huge number of dogs she's feeding raw to. And hers is like a real simplified diet, you know? And, and I, not necessarily all the best, you know, sourcing. And so those puppies are raised on chicken and beef and some lamb here and there and some pork here and there, but really basic, you know? Right. So when they come to me, you know, she doesn't feed veggies and stuff like that. So when, when I've gotten them, I've kind of continued that and they'll get, they get a huge more variety of foods with me um, just because of the, what, you know, SF raw, but you know, they don't really need veggies either, you know? And I've realized that more and more my position, like you're saying, like a year ago, what you're feeding now is different from what, I mean, 33 years into this, what I'm feeding now is so dramatically different from what I was feeding at the start. And I can guarantee every person listening to this, what you're feeding now and what you're going to be feeding five years from now, or even a year from now, probably will be different because we're biological beings. We're not cars. You know, it's not like, you know, unleaded, whatever. Right, right. For 15 years in that car and that never changes. You do your oil change and blah, blah, blah. We're not machines like that. We're machines in other ways. Of course, people think of your body's machine, whatever. But I mean, but we're biological. Right. And and we're changing all the time. And Mm -hmm. we're learning all the time. That's one of the things that keeps me so engaged in this industry is I am so fascinated by all the new information and research that's coming out literally every single day. I spend every morning going through research and new stuff coming out. Well, and I'll, I'll admit that there was, I forgot what year it was, but I decided that was going to be like, I was going to be, um, no, dog nutrition. That was going to be the next thing that I learn about. And I, and I went through a couple courses on it and I was like, whoa, hold up. Like, this is not, this is not something that I can just put on my, you know, website. Oh, I studied dog nutrition. I'm like, this would like, I need to dedicate my life to this. This is not just, I'm a trainer and I know a little bit about nutrition. And that's why, where I was like, okay, I'm going to leave that to people like you who are doing this for a living because you got to immerse yourself in it because it's, it's, it's just as complicated as our own nutrition. Well, okay. So here's the thing about that though. Here's what I do have some thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. what I tell people is it can be as complicated or as simple as you want to make it. Okay. Because the truth is, is yes, you go into those. And, and the thing is, is there's all these different programs to get certified. So mm-hmm. there's all, there's different, even within the context of becoming a nutritionist, there's all these different ways to learn and different philosophies and different, you know, uh, different schools of thought and different ways to learn about how to feed a proper fresh food diet. And there's this whole spectrum <laughs> involved. Right. So there's not like one right way, way there and you can get really complicated or you can go really simple. So if you look back at like the original, one of the people that I followed, she wrote her book in 1955, Natural Rearing of Dogs and Cats, uh, Juliet DeParkley Levy. And she lived with gypsies and nomads And she learned about how they fed animals in their care. And she adapted that and using herbs for healing them and all this kind of cool stuff. And she's just like someone I really idolized. And I really love her 
thoughts about feeding raw. And so there's this whole, my breeder that I was talking about, she follows natural rearing principles and that she's the godmother of natural rearing principles and this whole natural rearing movement. And you can find natural rearing breeders association and find breeders who raise their animals this way. And it's all natural, basically, you know, how we're doing it. But that is not, it's, you need to know a lot, but it's not that complicated and there's not nary a spreadsheet involved. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's nice. I mean, I love a spreadsheet. I love a good spreadsheet, but when it comes to feeding my dog, not so much. I'm a Virgo. Like, you know that, like getting down to like the milligram and I mean, oh my gosh, the beginning when I first started this, I lived by my spreadsheets. Like that was, and I had to, to have confidence. I totally understand because the only way for me to have confidence doing this crazy thing was to put it in a spreadsheet and feel really confident that I was doing, meaning all my little numbers. But I have to tell you, that's not necessary. It is not necessary. It is one of but many ways to do this. And you can do, just give them a rabbit, just give them a quail, you know, give them some eggs, give them some raw milk, give them some fish, you know, let them forage for herbs in the garden. I mean, uh-huh. You know, it's not, it's never just give them one thing. It's never just that. But like what I said with that, it was like, I you know, I mentioned all those other little parts that are involved with it because there's all those little parts involved with it, but it's more free and looking to your animal and nature to guide you. Mm-hmm. Then there's this other side where it's like the board certified veterinary nutritionist who is in a lab coat and is looking at Hills and Science Diet and Mars Company and what they do with their eight-week research studies with eight dogs. And then they determine you must do this minimum and this maximum of these nutrients, right? And so, and then there's everything in between. Right. You know? And so, yeah. so there's all these different ways to go about it. And you, like I said, you just have to find the way that makes sense to you. And it's not like there's only a few things you can really do wrong. Really? For so long, we fed our ourselves and our children without somebody of authority telling us what was right. You know, you just fed them real food and a balanced nutritious diet that you were getting, growing yourself or getting from your neighbors originally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, and that's how we, we've made it for millennia that way, you know, and, yeah. if, yeah, and it's, it will be okay. And people who get so worried because they're so conditioned by all the marketing and the veterinary community has been, you know, a lot of fear mongering that's been involved, unfortunately, because also veterinarians don't know because they aren't taught in school about what nutrition is. They're, they're basically taught about product prescribing. So it's like if there is, so the curriculum is put together by the, by the kibble companies. And so they get very little t- training on nutrition. And what they do get, it's basically like product recommendations. So if there's a, if there's a kidney disorder, we have this food you will feed. If they have a renal, uh, you know, a hepatic problem, we have this liver diet that you put together. If they're overweight, we have a reduction diet that you put. So it's product recommendations. It's not about actual nutrition. So there, they, and if you, I have a lot of veterinarians who are members of SFRA and are friends of mine. And if they're honest with you, they'll say, I don't know anything. And they'll have me put their diet because they're like, I don't know about nutrition. They just don't know. So when you, you know, they're just going to go with what they're being told in the larger community, but they don't have time. If they right. don't have an interest or time, then they're so, not going to research it right. themselves. Yeah, they have enough to I'm, do. Correct me if I'm <laughs> yeah. wrong here, yeah. but I always kind of compare it to like your family doctor, yeah. like knows some stuff about nutrition just because, you know, he's in the realm. But if I really wanted to like learn more about nutrition, I would go to a nutritionist, not necessarily my doctor. Correct. Do you know, like, that's how I always kind of compare it when it's like vet nutrition recommendations and like 
a holistic vet or somebody yeah. like you who specializes, a, you know, a nutritionist for dogs. Yes. And I'm not, I have to tell you, I'm not a licensed veterinary nutritionist. You have to have your veterinary license and then do further research to become an education to become a veterinary board certified veterinary nutritionist. Right. Yeah. Would you go with the, you know, what, what resonates for you? Do you want to see a functional medicine specialist or do you want to see a, you know, as far as nutrition goes, or do you want to see a dietitian who's going to go with, you know, mm-hmm. the USDA nutrition pyramid, you know, I mean, everyone's got these different ideas, you know, everyone's got right. different ideas on that. Right. So that kind of happens too. And, but the nice thing about that is no matter where you fall along those lines mm-hmm. with your understanding for yourself, you can oftentimes ref- do that same for your animal. And then we wrap up today with Casey giving us some of her favorite resources, which I will link to all of them, all the ones that she mentioned, because she goes through them kind of quickly, in the show notes, if you want to continue to learn. So for example, I was going to refer to a place where people can go to hire someone if they are interested in this. There's a great new organization that just got put together recently. And I'm going to, I don't want to mess up the name of it. Um, It's canine consultants and it's freshfoodconsultants.org. And from there you can actually hire somebody who does dog diets and they have all different kinds. And there's so many, I mean, there's like it's like hundreds. It looks like, I don't know. I didn't count, but there's so many, (laughs) there's so many people and there are people like from me who have like long, a lot of experience, but then there's also a lot of veterinarians and there's everything in between. So you could find someone who makes sense to you and that, Oh, that, you know, that's where I am on my journey to start with. This is what's going to make me feel comfortable. This is what, you know, I'm not comfortable with feeding whole prey. That seems crazy to me. And that may not seem crazy to you 10 years from now, but right now, Feed the dog in front of you and start with where you are on your own personal journey and what is comforting to you. Right. And that might be you know, hiring one of these people that makes sense to you to put a diet together for you. Just make sure that when you talk to them, that you tell them about what is available to you with your local resources. So they don't put like yak on your menu and you can't get <laughs> yak. You know what right, I mean? Right. So like, make sure that you have that conversation with them, that these are the things that I can buy locally. And then they'll be able to put a menu together for you. And that's a great start. Now, internationally, you have a lot of international listeners. Yes. And so that's why I wanted to post that uh, resource because there are international people listed on there. And so I'll, they will I will put every, all these resources yeah. in the show notes for anybody. Yeah. And I don't want it to, to be, them. I'm SF Ross. So I'm like, I know all about the stuff in, in San Francisco and California but I do talk to people internationally myself too. And so, you know, that's usually what I'll do is I'll talk to them. Now, online resources anyone can get to also for this is going to be perfectly rawsome. Okay. So perfectly rawsome, like awesome, but with R-A-W at the beginning. She <laughs> okay. has a great puppy guide and she has all these guides about how to do it and how to do it right. And without within uh, both the BARF model, which is with adding vegetables mm-hmm. and then the prey model model, which is without vegetables usually. Mm-hmm. So those two different models are kind of the two that I recommend. And this would be a way for you to do it at home. And any, you have the power to do it yourself. Really, it's not that hard. And if you look into these resources, you can either have someone put something together for you to follow a recipe you make you have confidence in, 
or go to Perfectly Rossum and she'll get these guides. You can also hire her. She's one of those consultants that you can hire. Um, and so this is something that she, you know, you can work with these people to put these diets together. And then okay. if you're in the United States, Answers Pet Food is something you can widely find typically, or you can buy it online. Um, there's also a company called Raw Dog Food and Company out of Colorado, and she ships nationwide as well. And that's another great um, brand of food. She has good sourcing as well. Okay. Oh, I think you gave us a lot of stuff, a lot of great background to, to all of this. So what I'm going to have you do is I want you to come back and I want some how to's. I yeah. want to know how you help a new puppy owner yeah. that is bringing their puppy home and it wants to start them on raw relatively soon and how you would do that in their first year. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Awesome. <laughs> so thank, thank you for you having me back. Yeah, yes. Thank you so much for all of this information. Um, how can um, people get a hold of you and like find more information about you or your blog where you'll, where you have lots of information? Yeah, I actually do have a blog that people can go to. It's, you know, freely available to anyone. SFraw.blog. And if you type in puppies, you'll see the first article that comes up is my puppy gruel using like a recipe for weaning puppies to raw or supplementing them while they're nursing. So this is for very young puppies and it can be used for the whole, you know, life of the puppy from the first okay. year, which is great. And then the second article is going to be the one we were talking about where I wrote about switching puppies to raw, which covers a lot of the things we'll be talking about in your podcast. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much right there in that article. And so it's awesome. going to, you know, people can read that as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I look forward to it and I'll see you next time. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. So that was part one to this two-part interview series with Casey. Once again, she did mention a lot of different resources especially towards the end, and all of them are going to be linked in the show notes. If you want to find those, it's playtimepause.com forward slash episode 69. So it's playtimepause.com episode 69. And if you want to listen to the next part where we're going to focus a little bit more on puppies, that's going to be episode 70. If you're listening in real time, it's going to be released just a few days after this episode. So I hope you enjoyed getting a little bit of an introduction on raw feeding from somebody who's been doing it for a very long time. I know I learned a lot. But that is all I have for you today. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can rate and review it wherever you listen and it helps other dog owners find the podcast. If you would like to continue working with me, you can check out my website, playtimepause.com for my other services, which include in-person sessions, virtual sessions, and my four-week new puppy course. I'm also working on a new digital program for all dog owners from brand new puppies through adult dogs, no matter where you are on your journey. I'm very excited about it and hope to have more information for you soon, but definitely keep an eye out for that. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I'll be speaking with you soon. Bye for now.